got a mixture of favourite national anthems submitted after we asked what people's favourite national anthems were. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alicia, true patriot, said New Zealand. Kia ora. Nikki Wells said the Welsh national anthem. <laughs> she would say that she is Welsh. <laughs> I could have told you that. As soon as he said Nikki Wells, I was like, right, there we go. Uh, Steph said the US national anthem, but only if it's sung by Whitney Houston. That is uh, niche, but love that. Have, and, you, um, have you heard that? I don't know. Yeah, no, it's poppin'. Yeah, oh, is it? Okay. Okay, okay yeah. so it's a thing. It's not just well, Steph I mean, being very specific. This is the thing about the US one, right? Like, it's good when it's sung by a really good singer. Not a great sort of mass voice anthem, though, in my opinion. And Laura said the Aussies. Yeah, I'm a fan of the Aussie one. I, I like their one. I think their one's better than our one. I like Waltzing Matilda. Anyway, hard pivot. <laughs> Have you seen those videos of more than two million litres of wine flowing, pouring, rampaging through the streets of Portugal? Yeah, the River of Rouge after some wine tanks burst. Bad day at the office for that particular sommelier, I imagine. Gotta Google the video if you haven't seen it. it. I thought it was fake news. Simply astounding. Exactly. Anyway, let's get to the show. Kia ora. This is Newsball. I'm Emil. And I'm Imogen. And this is what's worth talking about. The government has opened its books ahead of the election. So will their fiscal situation save them after these last few polls? Also, days after its devastating earthquake, Morocco is being urged to accept more foreign aid. We take a look at why it's being so selective. We've seen mountain rescues on the daily for the past few days, so what do you need to know before you head out for a hike? And what do doom-scrolling Barbiecore, Nepo Baby and Bachelor's Handbags have in common? Well, they're all new additions to an Australian dictionary. We've got all that coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. The government has opened the books ahead of the election on October 14 and the TLDR is things aren't looking great economically, but they're also not looking as bad as some had feared. So given the economy is absolutely front and centre of the political landscape right now, could this wee ray of sunshine help reverse Labour's plummeting support in the polls? Well, Luke Malpass is staff's political editor and our faithful political correspondent here at Newsable, and he's with us now to chat. Kia ora. Kia ora, how are you going? Very well. Before we get into things, Luke, we're going to ask you to pledge solemnly not to use the terms pre-election fiscal update or pre-foo during the course of this interview. Do you accept? Raise your hand. I accept. Okay, thank you for that. (laughs) Give us a headline here. We open the books. What did they say? Basically, surplus is being pushed out to 2026-27. The amount of government revenue coming in, tax takes dropped by $2.9 billion, and that's just since an estimate was made in the May budget. Corporate taxes over, I think, the next uh, four years are, gonna, are now expected to be down about 11 or so billion on where they were otherwise. The amount of spending has increased compared to what was uh, expected. The key takeaway is that Inflation has driven up all of government's costs, like everyone else. The amount of money coming in is less than expected, partly also because of inflation. It's going to be more difficult to balance the books over the coming few years. 
Were there any predictions on how long inflation will stay this high for and and anything about interest rates as well? Essentially, this is a Treasury prediction. They say that interest rates will now stay uh, higher for longer than what they would have otherwise. And partly that's because we've basically got the highest level of migration into New Zealand ever. And that in turn has meant that economic growth is better than expected. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that Reserve Bank was really trying to do by by jacking up its interest rate was to lower spending, get a bit of a recession, and, um, and you squeeze all the inflation out of the system that way. So it is now expected to stay higher for longer. Luke, you know, the economy, it's always crucial in an election year, but does it feel even more important in 2023 than it has in previous election years to you? It's it's the most important than it has been in, in quite some number of election cycles. I mean, last election was COVID. The one before was really an argument over whether National was too stingy or not. That was, you know, and just um, Jacinda won that argument enough to get it, enough votes to get New Zealand first over the line and get in. Look, I think it's interesting because unemployment's still really low. Most most people who want a job still have one. But at the same time, inflation's quite high. So even if you've got a job, you can feel petrol and food and everything else gobbling away at your pay packet much more. You know, I think it was Rob Muldoon said, you know, the public wouldn't know a deficit if they fell over one. Well, you know, that's probably true. But they do know that you buy two bags of groceries at the, at the supermarket and it costs you 150 bucks. Mm. And to date, I think, over the last uh, sort of 21, 22 months, the National Party has prosecuted that argument quite successfully. Look, Labor's been on something of a death spiral, polls-wise. Is there an opportunity here to turn things around, make some bolder promises? Look, I don't think today will do anything to help Labor. But I don't think it'll make things kind of any worse for them. The interesting thing will be how the National Party kind of responds to this and how they kind of make their their alternative numbers add up because the thing is that inflation is gobbling up so much more of the government's revenue plus interest servicing costs because debt is now expected to be close to $100 billion about three or four years up from net debt, up from $5 billion in 2017. Luke Malpass, always a joy. Thank you so much for your time, your insight, your analysis, and just for being you. <laughs> Thanks so much, guys. <laughs> We're talking the weird and wonderful words that have been added to an Aussie dictionary later on. Prime example, bachelor's handbag is technically now an official term. And we want to know what your favourite word ever, ever, ever is. Get in touch. You can find us on TikTok or Insta. Search Newsable NZ. You can also email us if it's a long old list of favourite words. Newsable at stuff.co.nz Morocco is still struggling to cope with the after effects of the devastating earthquake that hit last week. The most powerful and the most deadly in more than 60 years. More than 2,000 people have died and the quake has caused widespread destruction, especially in areas around the Atlas Mountains and in Marrakesh's Old City, a UNESCO World Heritage Site which has stood since the 12th century. Now, in the face of this disaster, Morocco is being quite selective about the aid it's choosing to accept from other countries. It's accepted help from the UK, Spain and Qatar, but it's rejected help from France, which is a bit puzzling at a time of crisis. Emile's been reading up on all of this. What's the deal? Why is Morocco turning down help? Geopolitics, basically, and um, the downstream effects of colonisation in a way as well. So 
Morocco has a long-standing beef with its neighbour Algeria, which is all about who has sovereignty over the Western Sahara, a piece of land called the Western Sahara. Morocco thinks that it owns this land, whereas Algeria supports a group called the Sahrawi uh, Arab Democratic Republic, who are folks indigenous to that part of Africa and who feel it should be recognised as its own independent state. Okay, so point one, Morocco and Algeria really don't like each other right now. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. And so now we bring in France. So France, as we know, also has a pretty complicated history in this part of the world. It um, aggressively expanded into and colonised a lot of North Africa throughout the 19th and 20th centuries. And it also, it occupied Algeria for ages, more than a century. And Algeria actually only won its freedom in the mid-20th century after a very bloody and attritional war of independence. But France is now trying really hard to get on better terms with some of those countries. Okay, so point two, France is working hard to rebuild trust, but there are obviously still some problems. Yeah, so France is trying to get on better terms with Algeria. Mm -hmm. Algeria has beef with Morocco, Mm -hmm. and Morocco wants France to support its claim in the Western Sahara. But France, because it's trying to rebuild relations with Algeria, it doesn't want to do that. And so now we come to point three. Morocco has beef with France, and therefore it is refusing French aid assistance. I need a pinboard with all of these points. Has France said anything about this situation? Yeah, I mean, it's it's playing it down. As you'd expect, it says it is uh, ready to help when needed. But Morocco says, you know, it wants to maintain control of this situation. It doesn't want the potential chaos that could come with Mm. multiple different countries and agencies all getting involved at the same time. Is this common, turning down aid in such a, in the wake of such a devastating event? It's more common than you'd expect. You know, lots of countries do prefer dealing with emergencies themselves if they can manage it. So Turkey, for example, um, was pretty slow to accept aid in the um, aftermath of the 2023 earthquake, and Tonga as well when, when it had that um, humongous volcanic eruption in 2022. So it's not unprecedented, although the, the, the reasons for for this are, are, are pretty complicated and, um, and and not seen that often, it has to be said. These last few days, the patience of rescuers has been stretched as they've had to turn out at least three times to save people who've been ill-prepared and made some questionable choices. We saw a pair needing assistance after wearing jeans and hoodies to climb Ngaruhoi. Someone needed help after getting stuck on a cliff in Piha. And rescuers say a person is lucky to be alive after falling hundreds of metres on Mount Taranaki. Here to talk us through what you need to know now is Mountain Safety Council Chief Executive Mike Daisley. Kia ora, Mike. Kia ora. So, look, as we... You know, just mentioned people are needing to get rescued, it seems, on the daily at this point in time. What's going on? Is there a seasonal element to this? Are there any common themes to these rescues? Well, first to the seasonality, absolutely. I mean, with spring coming along now, uh, suddenly there's a lot of good weather. And so there's this natural tendency just to start heading out into the hills. Mm-hmm. Plus, really, really mixed conditions. It's, it's nice and warm during the day, but it still gets very, very cold at night. And the daylight hours still aren't that long. And so those things combining, they're still very much feeling very wintry on the ground. A lot of snow, that's one of the key things which is catching people out. It's, 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 they're unprepared for what is actually still reasonably, reasonably strong winter conditions. How much effort goes into a mountain rescue, Mike? Because I, I imagine the dollar figure must be massive, but then on top of that, it's not just about 
plucking two people and taking them to safety. There's a whole group of personnel that, that need to get involved, right? Absolutely. And, and Landsar teams, uh, helicopter teams, and, and the police, of course, spend a lot of time coordinating and practicing and planning for all this. And, and they'll always be prepared to come out and, and find people that are in distress. But you touch on a really valid point, which is if you're not putting any planning into your trip into the outdoors, you're essentially relying on people's goodwill and putting their safety at risk as well when they come and find you. Yeah, I guess. Is there an element, Mike, of sort of, you know, underestimating the conditions and perhaps also overestimating your own sort of abilities? And uh, in the spirit of that, maybe we should have like a hiking license that you have to get before going on a big hike. Yeah, well, the, the first bit was, is harder in terms of that fitness piece. It's it's about maybe last summer, at the end of summer, you were, you were full of beans and really, really well placed to take on some big physical challenges. But then winter and came in a few chocolate cakes later, <laughs> you're not the same person as you were last summer. I feel seen. Yeah, I'm only speaking for myself. <laughs> but it, it, there's a lot of tools, and Mountain Safety Council ourselves, we have a great tool which can help with the second piece, which is around uh, really bringing to your attention what you're about to experience. So the tools like Plan My Walk, bring everything together into one place. It sounds really simplistic, but when we're seeing one common element to the rescues we have seen as being people not prepared for the experience they're embarking on. Mike Daisley, the Mountain Safety Council Chief Executive, thanks very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks very much. Kia ora Aotearoa and welcome to The Big Stuff Quiz. I'm your host, Imogen Wells, alongside my assistant, the wonderful... Hello everyone! Each week we'll release a new episode to test your wits with two rounds of ten questions. One potluck round and another that's very loosely themed. A bit tangential even. Such a good word. If you think you're up for the challenge, go and follow our show on your favourite podcast platform, The Big Stuff Quiz, is out now. The Big Stuff Quiz is proudly brought to you by Melbourne. Every bit different. Emil, if I said goblin mode, hmm. would you know what I meant? Uh, yes, I would, because I have a young cat, and, <laughs> uh, and and so I'm very familiar with the concept of goblin mode. What about menti bee, situationship, barbie core, spicy <laughs> cough, doom scrolling, bachelor's <laughs> handbag, nepo baby, or range anxiety? <laughs> Uh, I think you need to spend less time on TikTok, Imogen. Uh, although, bachelor's handbag is probably my favourite phrase ever in the history of the world. It's certainly uh, been a staple in my vocabulary very evocative. for yeah. quite some time. Well, would you believe that what I've just listed off are actually a small selection of new words added to Australia's Macquarie Dictionary? So to take us behind the curtain and explain how these are now official dictionary terms is the Macquarie Dictionary's managing editor, Victoria Morgan. Kia ora, welcome to News of All. Good morning. <laughs> First of all, let's clear something up. Some of these new entries aren't singular words. They're two words, a phrase, if you will. How does that make it into a dictionary? They are. They're what we call uh, compound words or lexical items. So if you took the two words separately, you know what goblin means, you know what mode means, but putting them together, what the hell is goblin mode? Or bachelor's handbag for that. <laughs> for that instance. So, so anything that isn't directly transparent, 
you actually have to explain what it means because it's part of our language. Victoria, I claimed earlier that I knew what goblin mode meant, um, and I do, but I would struggle to articulate it. It's one of those I know it when I see it kind of things. Can you please explain to me how you go about defining a phrase like goblin mode? (laughs) Um, Well, this is an interesting one because when I first came across it, well, I didn't know what it meant, but I assumed that it would mean something slightly different to what it does. So what it does mean is it's really just a term to describe a pattern of behaviour that's really characterised by indolence and sloppiness. So you might say, this weekend I'm not leaving the house, I'm not getting out of my PJs and I'm just going to get home delivery, sort of no effort whatsoever. It's called (laughs) Goblin Node because uh, I guess the appearance of goblins are quite unattractive. (laughs) I'm partial to a Goblin Mode weekend myself. (laughs) I'm also partial to a bachelor's handbag. For listeners who may not know what that means, Victoria... Could you please define it? <laughs> the bachelor's handbag is just our lovable takeaway barbecue chook. Yeah. So you pick it up. It's got the little handles. There's no preparation needed. Um, I think it is a favourite of a lot of people. Yeah. Um, you would have no idea what it means whatsoever unless I think it's one of those cultural things. Once you come across it, it's never to be forgotten, but it just it does stomachs anyone else. 3,000 new words were added in this latest update. That's amazing to me, Three th- that there were 3,000 words that, you know, that weren't already in there. Can you tell us a bit about the process of deciding whether and how a word makes it into the dictionary? Mm-hmm. I wish that I could say that as editors we sort of have the power and we're there wielding a sword saying yes or no. Um, but really the dictionary's role is just to reflect language as it's currently used. In society. Uh, Victoria Morgan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I made up a word once, you know. <laughs> Why? Just because I was bored. Does it have a definition or is it just... Do you want to know what it is? Well, okay, fine. Tell me. Voltudinous. V-U-L-T-U-D-I-N-O-U-S. What does it mean? I don't know. It doesn't mean anything. Oh, cool. I need to find a meaning. <laughs> but I've made up the word. I gave a sound a name. Uh-huh. And it's the sound of a hammock coming off a tree, like coming undone. Okay. Ba-dang! <laughs> you can hear it. So you, you created an onomatopoeia. I created an onomatopoeia. Lovely. Uh, Favourite word personally that's been added to the Macquarie Dictionary in this round was actually Zoom bombing, which I probably should have brought up. It's the act of joining a private video meeting when you're not authorised to do so. I like barbiecore. Yeah, barbiecore. Quickly define that for people who don't know. Yes, barbiecore. Fashion characterised by an all-pink colour palette, uh, particularly bright pink as seen in our favourite film of the year thus far, Barbie. I have lived most of my life in barbiecore. Have you seen Barbie yet? <laughs> oh my god, imagine what the hell. We should end this so maybe I could go see it. So you can go watch it, indeed. That's newsable for today. I'm Imogen Wells. And I'm Emil Donovan. Thank you very much for listening. You are Kenough. And uh, we'll catch you tomorrow. Ba-ding. Newsable. News that's worth talking about. If you liked it and reckon it's also worth supporting, please make a contribution at stuff.co.nz support. 